Anyway, so if you have your Advent booklet, uh, again, tomorrow we're starting page 48. That's the, that's the next part of the devotions that go along with what we're doing. Uh, and someone pointed this out that we, do the, we put the sermon notes before all the stuff. So essentially your sermon notes for this week are on page 34, which is before all your other stuff. But it's okay. You're big people. You can handle it. You'll be okay. So. And you know what happened? I shot my eye out. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. Okay, uh, a couple things as we get started. Uh, giving a little Planning Roots update. Planning Roots is uh, this, this journey we went through last year. We talked about stewardship because we have to be out of this building by the end of next year. And what he ended up, we bought this field that's out there. We've been looking for about six years to find a place to move into. We couldn't find one. Uh, lots of places, lots of things, been through a lot of stuff. So we decided to buy that and then build a permanent home for Element, which will be really nice because we'll have bathrooms that you don't get staph infection from or anything like that. It'll be really good. <laughs> we'll have toilets at work. Is that better? Whatever. I, I was telling Manette this week, I walked into her office and, and she has like no ceiling tiles in her office or anything. Neither do I in mine, by the way. But I walked in and I go, what are we going to do if we have a nice building? We're going to allow to put holes in the walls just so we feel like we're comfortable or something. We don't know. Anyway, so uh, Planning Roots is this journey. It's a stewardship thing we went through, and, and you guys committed to some stuff about helping us get a permanent home. Uh, right now, uh, we are 39% of the way through that journey, and 38% of the Planning Roots commitment have come in, so you guys are a percentage behind. Get on the stick. Now, uh, also, uh, in that, we didn't want anybody to feel like they were stuck into something if something happened in your life. So you could always revise whatever you, you pledged for planting roots up or down. And so if, you, if something happened in your life and you've got to go down, that's fine. Uh, we just want to keep with our budget. So if you'd like to let us know, that would really help. Or if things are going great, you could always go up. That's right. That's right. doesn't have to go down. So that's that. Also, if you've noticed, the guy that's uh, doing this property, he's extended the fence over out here in the back. So what really helps out now that all the fences are up and they're doing some things is if we would all start exiting out like that way. Because if you've ever tried to come in this way and there's like six people trying to get out and everybody gets stuck right there, it's like, yeah, you're the guy, right? So if we, if we, if we keep that for in and kind of head out out the back, then that would be great. Also, because the fence is so over so far now, uh, if we can keep a little area where people can drive around, start parking towards the exit if they need to as well. Guys, I'm going to tell you, for the next year, parking is going to be a pain in the rear end. At some point, probably uh, later towards uh, the end of next year, we're probably going to be parking in the field a little bit out there. It's okay. You'll be fine. Jesus loves you. It brings some growth. Okay? So let's, let's you know, it's j- just commit to being uncomfortable how you park and have to get here for a while. It is what it is. And then one day, I mean, I think we'll all look back at this and people will be like, I remember when I went to Element and da, 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 I had to park in the field. And I remember we didn't have a parking lot at all. And, just like people today still go, I remember we went to Element and we had to bring our own chairs. How was that, right? It's like, I brought my fold-up chair and I left it there and now I have no idea where it is. But it was kind of how it happened. So you'll get back and be able to tell stories about how horrible it was for you too. So, uh, so and, and, oh, and, and lastly, uh, on our permitting process where we're at right now, it's been about two and a half months. Our... Our permits are still in the same place in the city, so we're just, we want to get through this department. This is like the department vortex that we just never get out of, so if you, we don't, we don't want to pray that God literally sets it on fire, but if God would light a fire underneath them metaphorically, that'd be really nice. If you want to pray for something, pray. 
dear God, burn it down. No, dear God, light a fire underneath them so we kind of get moving a little bit faster with our stuff so we can actually get moving because the next phase, when it goes through that, it's going to go to the, the city for the public hearing where people can make comments. Don't, okay? <laughs> Don't make comments. You can bring your buddy in. I got a question. Just be like, shut up. <laughs> Let him get through this. And we'll figure this out. All right? All right, if you are a newer to Element, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There's normally, uh, uh, on all the communion tables, there's normally sermon notes, but we're doing these in the Advent booklet, so if you don't have one, uh, please take one. Go, go through the daily devotionals that are in that through this time of Advent. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called YouVersion. Click on Live and YouVersion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get uh, the verses, the questions, the stuff that goes along with today's message as well. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me. I will pray, and then we'll do the Advent reading. Father, thank you so much for being a God that calls us and blesses us because you are simply good. We ask that you would teach us to understand what it means that you came as a man to rescue and redeem us, that we would understand the incarnation in new ways, and that we would honor you by how we live our lives out of that understanding. Thank you for saving us. Amen. Have a seat. Luke 1, 26-38, Birth of Jesus Foretold In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, I'm so nice. I don't make you stand up for me reading all that to you. Plus, Jennifer Whitaker has such a nice voice in that. Every time we show one of these videos, it's like we get done with it, and you guys are like, "Mm -hmm." it's like you lose all energy. You're like, "Ah, I don't know what to do with that. So this is Elements Time that we're doing Advent. We've never done Advent before, so we're moving and working towards Christmas where God shows his love and grace towards mankind. Uh, Advent was meant to be a time of sober reflection that moved into a time of loud joy, kind of like Lent, but a little bit different. But as I said last week, I don't know how to make all these messages really somber. I'm going to do my best, right? But I don't know how to make them really that somber because I think leading up into Christmas and the understanding it's full of joy and it's amazing with its hope and love and joy and peace. See what I did there? Okay, just checking if you follow following here. Uh, Advent prayer is going to take place over five weeks. The fulfillment is going to be on the fifth week on Christmas Eve. Show up for Christmas Eve services. 
early because they're packed and it's hard to find a seat. So like normal, but even even worse. Uh, so this week, we look at the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, which is an outcropping of God's love for us. And you go, well, how is that an outcropping of God's love for us? The football verse, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. The incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, comes out of God's love for us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, he quotes Isaiah 7.14, and it says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, as he's dying, was attributed to saying these as his final words. The best of all is God is with us. That's Emmanuel. So he died with that on his lips. I think it would be much more amazing if we would live with that on our hearts in the center of our lives. The simple meaning of Christmas is the creator, king, God, Lord of the universe has become a human being to seek and save the lost. Everything else is secondary. It's secondary. I mean, today when we talk about self-respect and community and peace on earth between people who need to have peace because our country and our world needs a lot of it, all of that is going to flow out of our understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. The creator, God, king, became a human being. That's the meaning of Christmas. And I know if you have ever been at your house and the Jehovah's Witnesses showed up to your door, you start talking to them for a little bit and you start getting this arguing match. Was Jesus God? Was Jesus not God? Was Jesus God? Was Jesus? What is this supposed to do? I, I will tell you all the way through the New Testament, a lot of places in the Old Testament, it is told to you in every possible way, Jesus is God. And nothing about Christianity is going to make sense unless that is something we understand at the outset. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. Paul is preaching in the book of Acts, in Acts 20, verse 28, and he says, God obtained, that's the word purchased, he purchased the church with his own blood. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, the, I mean, I know only about 15 of you said it, but that's better than every other service. And when I ask a question in church service, 50% of the time you say, Jesus, you're going to be right. Okay? So, so... Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Today, there are whole realms of apologetics, defense of the gospel, doing nothing but convincing people that Jesus claimed to be God or who is understood to be God. There are even college courses on this. But, and this is a a really big but, in the early church, it was just the opposite. For the early church, there was no struggle like we have today to understand Jesus' divinity. What they struggled to understand was Jesus' humanity. And I know if you read books like The Da Vinci Code or saw the movie, the whole premise is, oh, the early church made Jesus into a god he never claimed to be. That's not true. Jesus claimed to be God, and the early church understood it. There was no question about it. But they always had questions about his humanity. The struggle that Jesus could really become a man, he became a baby. All of this is the struggle. This is why we teach what's called the doctrine of the incarnation. And for centuries after Jesus, people always struggle with who he really is. There's this word called conundrum. Anybody know what conundrum It means like confusion or deep problems. I don't know what to do with this. There is no one in the history of the world that has been the conundrum for us that Jesus is. I mean, you look at, we look at his Jesus life and we say it was completely unique. One writer says this, he had a relationship with God that no one else ever did. Moses, Abraham, Elijah, Enoch, King David, they all had amazing encounters with God, but nowhere do you see anyone who had the confidence and familiarity and intimacy with God that Jesus said he had. Jesus is the first person in the scriptures to call God Abba. That's like calling God Daddy. Mark 14, verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. New Testament and Old Testament scholars will all tell you that nowhere in all of Judaism did anybody ever use a term like that for God, other than 
Jesus. Jesus' ministry is completely unique. John 10, uh, 10 and 11 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All throughout the Old Testament, there is one good shepherd for Israel. Who was that? God. 50% of the time, right? God. But Jesus comes, he claims to be the good shepherd. So who was that God? There you go. There you go. See, it's all working like that. Jesus says the kingdom of God is present because he was present on the earth. He makes unique claims to be God. John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. That's not bad grammar. What he's using is he's using God's name for himself. The Hebrew scriptures call God's name I am. So Jesus takes that claim for himself, and he gets in a lot of trouble for it. Jesus dies a death that echoes throughout history. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. You're like, okay, big deal. Jesus died. Everybody dies. But Jesus died for our sin. What separated us from God and separated from each other, Jesus has died for. He is taken away by his death. Verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And the people in the early church, they looked at Jesus, his unique relationship with the Father, his death, his resurrection, his life, how he brings heaven to earth and who he was, how he never sins, how he's before Abraham, and they do exactly what we do. They worship him as God because he revealed himself to be that, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. But if you ever heard Paul Harvey, that's only half the story. I'm going to give you the rest of the story. Okay. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 4, verse 15. Verse 15. You've got to think of the power that Jesus had to live a life without sin, a life that honors God the Father. Even today, as Christians, we say, oh, well, Jesus could do all that. That was easy because Jesus was God. We think that Jesus wasn't like us at all. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, he's just like us. The writer of Hebrews tells us about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It wouldn't be a big deal to be without sin if there was no humanity involved. And this is why the first heresy in the Christian church, it wasn't the, this whole thing about, oh, the, the deity of Jesus. It denied the humanity of Jesus. It was called docetism. It comes from the Greek word dokai, which means to seem. And they say, oh, Jesus only seemed to be human, but he wasn't. He only seemed to be that way, that Jesus was just you know, pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. And this is why the New Testament writers, they keep combating this. They keep combating and saying, no, Jesus did come as a man. He wasn't just God in disguise. He didn't just merely seem human. And today what we call this is the hypostatic union. I know it's, it's a big word, but it means that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And what that means by looking at Jesus' life is that we can have the life and the power that he experienced. The life that Jesus lived, we can also live. A person who follows Jesus, life surrendered to him, born again, can live in the power and the experience that Jesus had. Jesus says no to sin. He says yes to God every day of his life. He wants us to be able to experience what he had through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives a perfect life. No sin. How does he do that? Do do you say like the first heresy? Well, he cheated. He's God. God didn't sin. Shocker. Right? Oh, God, God didn't. God said no to temptation. Shocker. God never lied. Shocker. I'm not God. Shocker. (laughs) Right? Right? You, You have to understand Jesus never cheated. He was not like Superman dressed as Clark Kent where no one could tempt him or hurt him. 
Saying Jesus only looked like a humble peasant from Galilee, that's just a way of saying he cheated. See, the message of the doctrine of the Incarnation is that while Jesus was on earth, he had access to all the strength and power and all that, but he did not avail himself of them. Jesus did not cheat. He didn't cheat. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That means he had to memorize scripture just like us. When he was tempted, he was tempted in his humanity. He could have leaned into his divinity, but he didn't. The only time you really see Jesus ever lean into his deity is for others. When people need sins forgiven, he, I believe he forgives as God. But anytime he is tempted or tested, he lives it out of his humanity. He got hungry, he got exhausted, he had to learn and labor just like us. How does he do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He shows us what it looks like to live a spirit and power and led life. At the baptism of Jesus, the whole Trinity shows up publicly to show that Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God. It is public so people would see it, so it would be written down, so we can understand this, that you and I should live a spirit-filled life. You know what that looks like? It looks like Jesus. Okay, that's more than 50% now, so just... It looks like Jesus. That's, that's what it looks like. Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He was grieved. He was troubled. He got angry. He experienced pain. The Bible says he grew like we grow. He bled like we bleed. He died like we died. Why? Because of love. Because God so loved the world. And I think it's sad that even our songs at Christmas time mislead us. Think of that song, Away in the Manger, right? Away in the manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus sleep on the hay. Second verse, sing it with me. The cattle are lowing the poor. Don't leave me hanging. The little Lord Jesus. Okay, these guys know it, okay? You guys are like, I don't even know what this song is. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? No crying. He's a baby. Babies cry. It's why we have a mother's room, all right? It's got a TV. You can watch all this shenanigans and craziness from there if your kid gets out of control, all right? But we have a mother's room because babies cry. You ever been on an airplane? And you got that baby, right? Cries the entire flight, right? And you walk up to the mom and go, oh, too bad your baby's not like Jesus. Little baby Jesus, no crying he made. I said, you got the devil, baby. He just cries the entire flight. You don't do that because babies cry. Jesus cried. You see this throughout the scriptures. His friend dies. He cries. He cries over humanity's pain and suffering. The New Testament is so adamant about the humanity of Jesus that the Apostle Paul John writes in 2 John 1, 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such is one is a deceiver, that means a false teacher, and the Antichrist. That's a little harsh. Really? Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If in Jesus God really becomes a man, and he didn't use his divinity to shield himself from suffering and hardship, if he really surrendered himself to all of these things and human limitation and weakness, how does he do it? As we keep saying, by the Spirit of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses, verse 5 through 8, he says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus does this by his complete, utter dependence and surrender to the Holy Spirit. 
at the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist says, John chapter 1, verse 32, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Him. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 10, the Greek in that actually means the Spirit went into Him. When the heavens are open at Jesus' baptism, it's not this Hollywood special effect where God is like, I'll freak Him out, watch this. That's not what it is. This is a manifestation of a spiritual reality, that heaven has come to earth in Jesus. God's power is given to Jesus as a human being through Jesus' complete and total depends upon the Spirit of God. Jesus becomes fully human, but is anointed by ministry by the Holy Spirit. He operates under the power of the Spirit of God. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Luke chapter 10, verse 21, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Romans chapter 4, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. In Romans 8, we are told it was God's Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Jesus is somebody who lived by the Spirit of God. He emptied himself. He becomes a human being. He depended not on his own strength or power. He did not cheat. And if Jesus became fully human, which he did, and if Jesus lived the way he did because he was always dependent on the Spirit of God, which he was, and if that same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who lived in Jesus then, now calls us to let him live in and through us, through his power of the resurrection, which he does, how do we then become the people who live like Jesus did? How do our lives begin to become different? How do we reflect who he really is? Glad you asked. Okay. So we're going to rest in this power of the Spirit. So let me talk about this really practically a little bit, okay? Um, we all have bad habits, right? Yes, okay, we all got them. You know, things that annoy people around us. I mean, look at the person that you're, you're sitting next to and just think of one thing you'd like to change about them. Okay, don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. It's not going to be good, right? What you have to understand is they got just as many things going through their head as you got going through yours. All right. So, can you change? Can I change? Can 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 they change? I mean, that's that's the. I told you that this year I was reading this book by John Ortberg, and he talks about this study done by a lady named Carol Dweck. And so, what I did is I picked up a copy of her book because I wanted to make sure I wasn't just you know reading you some shenanigans that wasn't really too. So, I picked up her book. Uh, it's called Mindset, and what she talks about is how people handle failure and change. So, at one point, she takes some ten-year-old kids. Okay? She gives them impossible tasks to see how they're going to handle failure. And, and, at, and so she gives them these really hard things, and, and at some point, these 10-year-olds, they all fail in one of the things that she gives them. Some of them handle it just the way we do. We get defeated, we get depressed, we're like, oh, this is horrible. But other kids, when they started hitting all these failures, they actually got excited. One 10-year-old said, I love a challenge. It's like, weirdo. You know? <laughs> Another 10-year-old says, I was hoping this would be informative. Because some kids, they didn't get discouraged by failure because they didn't see it as failure. What they saw it as an opportunity to learn. I'm going to start learning something through this. A couple years ago, I have a friend, his name's Trevor. You probably, some of you know who he is. He's a pain in the butt, right? You know that, right? He'd tell you that. And, And he got cancer a couple years ago. And one of the things he kept saying to me was, I don't want to waste my cancer. I don't want to waste my cancer. And so he's trying to learn how to listen to God through this, and they got him on all these drugs, and it makes him kind of nutty and crazy a little bit. And again, some of you guys didn't know this. And, and he's trying you know, to start learning how to, how to work through this and do this thing because he's not seeing his cancer as a failure. He's seeing it as a way that God has done something in his life that will help him to grow. And guys, he, 
he falls a lot, okay? <laughs> Just like we all do. But he's trying to see this thing as something that's actually better. And it's like, this week I had, I had someone, I was talking to somebody else, and they said about me, they said, Aaron's really controlling. And you know what? I probably am. <laughs> I got to think to be, how to be better. How does that begin to change in my life? How do I hear these things and not get defeated by it, but actually learn how to begin to start to grow? Dweck says we have two different mindsets in life. She says a lot of people go through life and their life is like a mason jar. There's a lid on top and inside there's a bunch of ping pong balls with all these fixed traits. And we label this thing, we call it it. Okay, it. And we all have some of it. A certain amount of intelligence, intelligence attractiveness, uh, money, things like that. She says our worth for most people stems from how much it we think we have. So subconsciously we go around, we're always trying to get people to look at our life and go, oh, look how much it they have. They got a lot of it. This is why sometimes when challenges come up, a lot of people run from challenges because we may not have enough it to get over the challenge. And so we try to arrange our lives. We don't have mistakes, or if we do, we blame them on somebody else. Oh, it wasn't my fault. I don't got to own up to that because other people start to think that we don't have enough of it. So we start to compare ourselves to other, our it to other people's it. That's why in school, when you have a test that's coming up, and you say, oh, I didn't even study. So if you do really bad, people say, oh, well, they didn't study. But if you do good, they go, man, he's got a lot of it. Right? Because it's like they did really good on that test. That's a closed mindset. It is completely full of fear. Dweck says, though, you can go through life instead with a growth mindset. Where you don't go through life with like a jar with a lid on it. You're like a seed that can be planted and growth always becomes possible. So the goal in your life isn't just to look smart, it's to grow. And when that happens, things that other people perceive as failures become indispensable because they make us grow. Where, you know, the ping pong balls are a jar with a lid on it and nothing gets and nothing gets out. A growth mindset is a seed that can grow out of the top of this jar that the lid has been taken off of the confines of the jar. You get to grow out of that. Now, she doesn't say it in the book, uh, but I think John Ortberg did, and I totally agree with it. He says, if the spirit who lived in Jesus, in Jesus is now through the resurrection living in believers, which he does, okay, that means the lid is off the jar. That means you're not a mason jar. You guys are seeds, and we're meant to grow and grow and grow. The offer of the Bible of Christmas, of the incarnation, is the reality of life with God. That God has come here. Emmanuel is God with us. We get to go beyond our self-sufficiency. We get to go beyond our mistakes. We can own our mistakes. Because they're things that God will lead us into growth with. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. John Ortberg says this, I know our natural tendency in the USA is to say, I've got it, I can do it, but the truth is you don't have it. So you should look at the person next to you right now as you're flipping to Romans 8 and go, you don't have it. And then say, you're welcome. (laughs) Here's the amazing thing, though. God does have it. God does. And he wants to give it to you. Why? Because God loves us. That's why. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 through 17 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ, Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption and sons by whom we cry abba father we get to call god dad the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ the scriptures want us completely to understand it keeps going over this that how much jesus became like us to save us and how we are called to live lives that imitate and follow him jesus is called in the scriptures the second adam in the legends of the fall we talked about this adam came and what did adam do adam brought sin and death 
Jesus comes and he brings hope and life to his people. If you want to know what humanity was supposed to look like, we look at Jesus. That's who you look at. And guys, a- after Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people look back on, the, on our entire year and we ask if we had a good year. It always involves our stuff and relationships and money. But a good year is nothing more than a culmination of moments, how the year kind of came together, which makes us have to ask, what makes a good moment? Guys, what makes a moment great is that you live it with Jesus. Money, relationships, stuff, all this is temporary illusion of what we really hunger for in our lives, which is a full life from one moment to the next, which is a life that is lived with Jesus. It is his love here now, his hope here now, his joy here now, his peace here now. See what I did? Just check it, make you pay attention. Our goal should be to spend as many moments with him as we can. What does the incarnation teach us? Again, Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If you think about this, Jesus grew in wisdom. That means he was a real child and he had a ways to go. Talking to my friend Wendy a couple years ago, and she says, she says, do you think Jesus hit a home run the first time he went out and swung a bat in Little League? I'm like, well, no. I don't think so. We all like to think he did, though, right? But for some reason, we equate this learning curve with sin. Jesus didn't sin. He didn't sin at all. But he did grow. He became like us. We are told in the book of Philippians that Jesus willingly, purposefully emptied himself. That means he wasn't sitting in the manger going, I'm really God of the universe, but I'm going to coo and cry just like a little baby so so I can fake them all out. That wasn't what he was doing. I mean, Jesus did not start off life with the omniscient encyclopedia in his head. Paul says he humbled himself. He had to learn. He was subject to all the normal laws of human development. How does he do it without sin? The Spirit of God. That's how he does it. When Jesus starts his public ministry in his hometown, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, so this is what he normally did, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Jesus developed rhythms and customs. He committed himself to corporate worship and learning. A lot of people today say, well, I don't need a church. A church is important. Jesus needed a church. And you might say, yeah, yeah, but Jesus probably had a really good church. The churches I've been to, they're horrible. Jesus' church takes him outside of the edge of town and tries to kill him. That's a bad church. Okay? <laughs> a, in case you don't know, you're welcome. That's, that's, a bad, that's a bad, bad church. And people say things like, oh, Element is always talking about gospel communities. I don't need to be in the gospel community. Jesus needed to be in a gospel community. Jesus had these guys around him that he spent time with and they, and they gave into each other's lives. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, he responds by quoting, It is written. How did Jesus know the scriptures? He didn't get the magic app from heaven. Like, oh, I know what this is. I'm on my iPad here, devil. Let me look at it. You know, no, no that's, that's not what happened. Jesus learned. Jesus learned. He immersed himself in the scriptures until it becomes second nature to him. What if we depended on the spirit like Jesus did? We'd have it or it would have us and guys some of you i know this is really hard for you to kind of go along with the whole jesus thing some of you think that you're really really smart this old statement that goes if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room okay so just say this out loud with me for a second i am not the smartest person in the room grumble grumble right right that is true for all of us except for one of us okay and you're in the wrong room, and you need to find a smarter church. (laughs) Because we're a bunch of dummies, right? James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What if for every problem and challenge and 
failure, something that comes into our lives that we don't like, instead of getting all depressed and focused on ourselves, we actually stopped and asked God, God, guide me. Guide me. Give me direction. What do you want me to do? Before we freak out, before we go off on that person that irritates us, before we do all the crazy things we normally do, we stop and we listen and actually do what he calls us to do. What if we actually did that? We would begin to live like Jesus. In Mark chapter uh, 6, verse 3, people of Jesus' town say, Is not this the carpenter? So Jesus was a carpenter before he was a rabbi. He learned how to be a carpenter. Think of the graciousness of the God of the universe divesting himself and humbling himself and learning a trade to teach us and show us what living for and with God should and should and could look like. You've got to understand that Jesus leans just as much on the Spirit of God as a carpenter as he did as being a rabbi. In both of those things. The incarnation is about God's love for a lost creation who needs redemption. And what would happen if we as a people lived and worked like Jesus in the Spirit in love? I think everything would change because we'd start there. That would be our beginning point. Not our anger and our hurt and our pain and how somebody offended us. We would start in the place of who Jesus is, the Spirit of God, and begin to work out of that. Everything would change. And maybe, you know, you've lived a lot of your life thinking, I just don't really relate to Jesus at all. I know the Spirit couldn't really live in me. I can't really live that way. And, and I'm not talking all the, the weird Spirit stuff like rolling around and doing weird things. You know, I'm talking about the daily living in the Spirit of God every single day. This is why the Bible keeps giving you pictures of Jesus' humanity. This is how we were called to live. The Bible constantly shows this to you. I mean, in John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples, they've been traveling a long time. It is Jesus who is so tired that he's got to sit down by a well because he's worn out. You look at the crucifixion. Jesus carrying his cross to the place of crucifixion. He can't make it all the way there. So they conscript a guy named Simon to carry it for him. You know, when Paul talks about Jesus, he will use the word weakness. And we don't even know what Jesus looked like. I know in the movies he's always good looking, like Jim Caviezel, right? He's a good looking dude, Jim Caviezel. Or if it's not Jim Caviezel, it's like uh, some British guy with blue eyes and feathered hair. Go Michael Bolton, all right? Wh- whatever. He's got, oh, he's got a nice British accent. I'm so glad. What is up with us? Blue eyes, British accent. Jesus? He's Middle Eastern. He's a, he- whatever. You know, the earliest tradition. It's from a writer named Celsus, 2nd century. He's not a Christian, and he says that Jesus was short and ugly. Now, we don't know, because the scriptures don't tell us what Jesus looked like. But early traditions seem to corroborate that fact. Isaiah even prophesies, Isaiah 53, verse 2, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. What if Jesus didn't look like a movie star? What if he wasn't a great athlete? John Orberg writes this, he says, What if in his humbleness Jesus chose from the foundation of the world that when he came he would also know the pain of being an outcast and a misfit? And that is why he had such a heart for them. What if? Guys, Jesus became like us. What enabled Jesus to burst the bounds of humanity was not that he was like Superman. It was the Spirit of God at work in and through him. When they killed his human body, laid it in the tomb, it was the Spirit of God who raises Jesus from the dead. And we are told in the scriptures that same spirit is available to us today. Why? Because God loves us. That's why. The power that Jesus lived his life in is the same power and relationship that's offered to all of us today. Because of the incarnation. Because of the love of God. We cannot understand the power of the spirit apart from Jesus and his incarnation. 
Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Jesus died the death we should have died. He rose from the grave. He pours out His Spirit on us to renew and remake all things. This is the understanding at the heart of the gospel. That Jesus gave His life for us. That His righteousness that He lived in is imparted to us. But that also means that we can live lives in the Spirit just like Jesus did. I know, I know, we fail, we fall, we go face down all of the time. But God's Spirit picks us back up and walks with us and doesn't leave us there. We, understanding Advent and Christmas and the Incarnation, must be a people who understand what Jesus came to do, what He did, how He lived and how He calls us to live. This is why we talk about communion every week. I mean, communion is where you break a cracker. What does it represent? Christ's human body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It represents Christ's human blood that was shed in the place of you and me. That blood that washes away our sin. All that separates us from God. All that separates us from each other was taken taken care by Christ at the cross. This is why our lives can look different. This is why God's Spirit can now live and rest and reside in us because of what Jesus has done to take away our sin and renew us and bring us back to life. This is what we follow. This is why we believe. This is why we worship Him because of what He has done. The band's going to come up. And I invite you guys to take communion. If you need prayer, there will be some deacons in the back. And maybe you have a hard struggle in your life, and it's like, I can never relate to Jesus. How would Jesus get to this? What would Jesus do? In the, you know, I know, dumb little bracelet. What would Jesus do, right? You know, what, what, would, what would Christ do in this? How would he live? To, they would love to pray and talk with you about that. What it means to live a life uh, solely you know, focused on Jesus and the Spirit of God. How his strength is imparted to us to live in ways that lift him up in all things, no matter what we're going through. That the redemption of our lives is possible because Jesus is the one who made it possible through his incarnation. We get to be the people of God because of Jesus and his incarnation. I know, it sounds like every week I'm giving a Christmas message. I kind of am, I guess. But, I mean, that's the beauty of Christmas. That we get to be the people that God has always called us to be because of what Jesus has done. It's a beautiful thing, and if you have more questions about that or you'd like to go a little bit deeper, talk to one of the deacons or elders in the back. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving's part of our worship. You have the opportunity every week. There's food in the back. Grab something to eat. I would encourage you as you grab something, meet some people, and maybe start to have some discussions about this. Go a little bit deeper and talk about the incarnation and what that means and the, and the depth of that and what God is continuing to do through our understanding of the incarnation. And that the same spirit that Jesus lived and trusted in in, is the same spirit that's offered to us today because the Holy Spirit is a person. And he'll lead and guide and show us and take us to all the places we need to be because he is also God with us. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask you to teach us what it means to be those who live and trust in your strength that we understand the incarnation. That we understand what you have done, what you continue to do to save and rescue and redeem us. I ask that you would teach us to see where you are at work in the world and where we can come alongside of that. Bring in the understanding of your hope, 
and your grace and your life. I ask that we would understand and live in the love that you have first given to us. The love that had you from the foundation of the world plan to rescue and redeem these crazy knuckleheads called humanity. That we would understand it's not because we are so good, it's simply because you are so good. That our hearts and our lives would be laid down before you and we would live and walk in the power of your spirit. Lives that fully reflect the goodness and the grace of you. Teach us to honor you by how we live, how we love, and to understand that all of those things are worship. And worship just isn't some song we sing. Worship is the life that we live. Teach us so our entire human lives become living sacrifices that lift you up as you continue to redeem and restore. Thank you for loving us. Teach us to love you back and to love others the way that you have loved us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.